listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 139, 139. Um, Today we are coming to the end of our Psalms for the Summer series and what we've been doing this whole summer is looking at different psalms that speak into different seasons of life. Um, it's been really fun. It's been uh, eye-opening. Um, it's been kind of cool, at least for me, just to kind of see how the psalms kind of flow together um, in, in a few different ways. But uh, this morning, we're going to look at, at Psalm 139. And, and one of the things that I think we're going to see, so over the past, you know, several weeks that we've been doing this, We've kind of, we've, we've been singling out like different, different people in different stages of life or seasons of life. And what I mean by that is like, for instance, we've, we've looked at, hey, this, this morning we're looking at a psalm for the reluctant. Like those of us who may find ourselves in a season where it's a little bit difficult for us to, to open up God's word and spend time in God's word. Or a psalm for the fearful. Like we might find ourselves in a season of life where where, man, we, we feel just really like, like just we're living in a perpetual state of fear. We look all around us and, and all we see are things that are bad. And, and we are afraid of everything going on. And so we've kind of been singling out different, different stages, different seasons of life that you might find yourself in, different groups of people. What we're going to see this morning in Psalm 139 is that this is not a psalm for different groups of people, but regardless of where you're at in life, maybe, maybe you're like a, a new believer, okay, you've, you've just started this journey where you're following Jesus, maybe you're like a seasoned vet, okay, like, like you've been doing it for a while and, and you've, you've got, you know, like, like you feel like you're, you're doing really, really well. Maybe you came in this morning and you have a bunch of questions, and you're like, I'm not even sure what I believe, but for, for whatever reason, I felt like, like just led to, to come to church this morning. But I have a, a lot of questions that I'm trying to find answers to. Regardless of where you are at on that, that scale, okay, that spectrum, this psalm is for you. We're calling it a psalm for the known this morning. And as I was kind of studying this, I kind of, in my head, I even kind of labeled it in my, in my head, Psalm 139, the God who is everywhere. And that's what we're going to see this morning. And, and, and theologians really kind of set the, this, this, this table for us because what they say about this psalm is that this psalm is, is kind of like the crown jewel of all of the 150 psalms. It's, it's kind of like the mountaintop. Of, of all of the 150 psalms in this book, like this is the one that is really like, man, it just speaks to, to who God is. Speaks to, to who God is. And so that's what we're gonna look at this morning, Psalm 139. Now, like I said, there's, there's a lot of different people in here today, um, a lot of different stages of life. And I'm not necessarily talking about like, like spiritually, I'm talking about like just like from, from our, our elderly folks to like preteens, like, like we've got all different types of, of people here. Now, I don't know if you're here, but, I, and I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but I know that, that more than likely there's probably some of you in here who have just started dating, okay? You've just started dating. And what I mean by that is that like you've gone on like one date, like a two, maybe three dates, like you're in the early stages of dating, and 
man, I feel for you because it is the worst, okay? Like, it is, it is that, that early stage is the worst. I remember, like, my wife and I, when we, when we first started dating, uh, like, our, our very first date, well, like, our first, like, actual date, okay? We went to Stella's. Who remembers when Stella's was on 50th? Yeah? <clears throat> yeah, we went to Stella's for our very first date, and uh, it was going great, like, she was, she was digging what I was throwing down, and it was, uh, it, was, it was going awesome. They brought our food out, and honestly, I don't know what I was doing. I think I blacked out, but I, I reached for something, and as soon as I reached for it, I knocked her water into her food, and it was like, okay, this is not good, and so uh, thankfully, like, all's well that, that you know, whatever the saying is, okay, because we're still together, yeah, um, my wife is here. So that's, but here's the thing. That stage is, is kind of the worst because it, all, it just kind of constantly feels like a perpetual interview, doesn't it? Like, like you just feel like you're constantly like, like living under a microscope with that person that you're dating, especially early on. Like you're trying to figure out like, who is she? Who, who is he? Like in this moment, um, you're, you're living under this, this microscope. You're always feeling like you're, you're being evaluated all right, who, who is this person? Even to the extent that like when you do go to dinner, you are second guessing what you're ordering, aren't you? Because you're like, I don't wanna pigeonhole myself into that type of person. So you might like go to dinner and, and be like, man, I'm trying to eat healthy, so I think I'm gonna order a salad. And, and she's like, oh, so you're a salad guy. And you're like, did I say salad? I meant to say, hey, I'd like a steak. Can you bring me a big bucket of gravy with that as well? Like that's, that's, what, that's the type of person that I am. But eventually, hopefully what happens is you move on to something that feels a little more established. And as you do that, you begin to start asking lots and lots of questions. And one of those questions is, does this person really know me? Like, do they, do they really like, know who I am? And the reason I bring all of that up is because I think there are moments in, in our walk with God where we ask that question with our relationship with God. Does God actually like really, like how does God feel about me? What does he, what does he think about me? And what we're gonna find this morning in this Psalm, in Psalm 139 is, is David, he's gonna really clue us in and let us in on the fact that not only does God know you more fully than anyone else, even yourself, but he also loves you more fully than anyone else. And so let's jump in this morning. If you have your Bible, Psalm 139, we're going to start with just the first four verses this morning. So let's read those first four verses together, and then, then I want to just point out a few things for us really fast. Verse 1 says this, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. So let's pause there. I want to point out just a, a few ideas from the text that, that David gives us this morning. And I think these ideas are going to seem a little simplistic to us, but oftentimes, at least for me, it's those simple ideas that are the most profound, 
okay? It's so the first idea that we can pull from this text this morning is this, God knows you. God knows you. And, and I think when I say that, that doesn't necessarily elicit the response that it probably should. But when I say God knows you, I'm talking about the God of the universe, the one who created it all, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who knows the stars by name, the one who humbled himself, who came in the form of a baby, who went to the cross, the one who defeated death, hell, and the grave, that God knows you. He knows exactly who you are. Right now, where you were at, when you walked into this room, God knows everything about you. And what David is about to say to us in verse 6 is he's going to say, man, this, this knowledge that God knows me is, is beyond like comprehension. It is too wonderful me, for me. And that's David's way of going, this is wild. This is wild that, that God himself knows who I am. It's wild to me. He knows, he says in verse 4, uh, he, he knows the thoughts that you have right now. The very thoughts that you have right now. The ones that you're going to have when you leave here. The ones that you're thinking right now. So if you're like, man, I wish Tyler would wrap it up like faster than he normally does. He knows that, okay? Like he, he knows that. He knows the thoughts that you have even before you know you're going to have those thoughts. This is who God is. He knows the words you're going to say even before you know you're going to say them. You are fully known and fully seen by God. He knows what you did last night. He knows what you did last summer. He knows what you did the summer before that. This is who, this is who he is. And what David is about to tell us is that God's reaction to that is the complete opposite reaction that we expect him to have for someone who knows that deeply, that intimately, who we are. In fact, I think when we, when we think about that, when we think about God and, and him knowing us, I think part of us would go, man, like surely if God knew me that deeply and that intimately, he would pull away. Like he would recoil from me if he knew like who I truly was. But that's not the reaction that we see in these verses. And I think one of the reasons we feel that way is because one of our greatest fears is like truly being known by someone. Because we know if like if someone truly knows us, there's no way they want to be around me. Like, if someone knows who I am, they're going to be repulsed by me. Like, if they know the deepest, darkest parts of my heart, they're, they're going to want to get as far away from me as possible. But David says it's not rejection that we meet in this moment. Look at verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, you, talking about God, you have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. So here's God's reaction to knowing you. Despite knowing everything about you, he doesn't pull back. 
God, you know, you know the amount of terrible decisions that I have made in my life. You know all of the things that I've done to, to hurt my family. You know all of the things that, that I've looked at that I shouldn't have. God, you know how much I crave money. You know how much I, I, I just, like, I constantly think about, like, body image, how I struggle with that. God, you know, you know how prideful I am. And yet your response isn't to recoil or pull back from me. Your response is to come in. In fact, David, he, he kind of puts it this way. He says, your response is to like almost bear hug me and place your hand on me. That's who God is. God knows you. He knows who you are. And I want you to hear this. The only reason, and we're going to put this on the screen because this can be a little, like, a little weird, like, weirded phrase, but, but the only reason that God can be the God who fully knows you or who knows you more than anyone else and love you more than anyone else is because he knows you more than anyone else. That's the only reason. Well, what do you mean by that, Tyler? Because that's really confusing, Okay. Here's, here's what I mean by that. You can't really love someone unless you truly know them. Think about it like this. Like imagine that you have a, a best friend, okay, and that friend's name is Steve. If you're Steven here, I'm sorry, okay? But imagine that you have a best friend and his name is, is Steve. And, and your perception of Steve is, is, is just like one way, okay? Like he's your best friend. Um, you, Steve, he, he works at the job that you work at. Maybe Steve has an accent because he's from a different country. Like you see on his desk, he's got this picture of, of a family. Um, that's your perception of who Steve is, and, and you love Steve. But then, come to find out, Steve isn't actually Steve. He's Carl, okay? Like that's who he is. He's Carl. And Steve doesn't, Carl doesn't have an accent. He's just been like fooling you with it. And he has no family, so you never really loved Steve, you just loved a perception of Steve. You loved a perception of, of Steve. All of it was a facade. You cannot fully love someone unless you truly know them. And this is why God can love you more fully than anyone else can, because he knows you more fully than anyone else does. This is who he is. God is the God who is there, and when he looks at you, he knows everything about you. And David is overwhelmed with this knowledge in verse 6. He, he's overwhelmed with it. God, you see it all, and you don't pull away. How magnificent, how amazing are you? How wonderful is this knowledge? I can't even comprehend it. This is wild. That, God, you don't pull away from me. You don't recoil from me, but you come closer, even though you know it all. So David establishes that God knows you, and he knows me. So let's keep reading. Look at verses 7 through 12. So he says this. He says, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there, which is just another word for, for death, okay? 
If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not night to you. The night shines like the day, darkness and light are alike to you. So God knows you. And then the second idea that we get from this text this morning that that David wants us to see is this. God is with you. Not only does God know you, he is with you. So I said earlier, one of, I think one of our greatest fears is actually true, like, like to be truly known by someone. And I think another one of, one of kind of the, the common fears that you see across humanity is this fear of, man, I'm all alone. I don't want to be alone. Even you introverts, okay? Like even the introverts in here who are like, I want to be alone. Not truly alone. No one wants to get to their deathbed and there's no one there. That's one of the greatest fears that I think all across humanity you see is is this fear of like, I'm alone. I don't want to be alone. And when you read this text, most scholars agree this is David writing towards the end of his life and he's looking back on his life. And what he points out is this, you have always been with me. You've always been with me, God. In fact, like, like for, for you, like when you drove to Southcrest this morning, God was with you. When you were chewing out your kids in the car this morning, God was with you, okay? When you did that thing that you regretted this past week, God was with you in that moment. Wherever you go, he is with you. And like David, we can look back and we can see, hey, we're, we're never alone. And for some of you, that sounds terrifying, doesn't it? And you feel like, man, I, I feel like if that's the case, I'm like constantly living under, you know, like, like this, this security camera that I'm trying to dodge every now and then. That sounds terrifying for you. But David would say, it's not terrifying for me. It's not secu- like a security camera for me. It brings me joy to know that God is with me. And, and here's why he would say that. Because David knows how awesome it is to have immediate access to the God of the universe. David knows how amazing and how awesome it is to have access to the God of the universe. If I were to ask you, like, hey, you can have access to anything, immediate access to anything in the world right this second, what would you say? Would it be, would it be money? Would it be power? Would it be influence? Like, what would that be for you? And David would say, for me, it would be God, and I already have him. Why, David? Because God's the one who controls money. God's the one who controls influence. He's the one who controls power. He's the one who controls all of that, and I have immediate access to him right this second. And so it's not terrifying for me. It brings me joy to know that I am with him, and he is with me. Look what he says in verses 13 through 16. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. 
My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. So God, not only do you know me, and not only are you with me, but the reason you love me so much is because you are the designer of me. And so God knows you, God is with you, and then this third idea is this, God made you. God made you. You're not just some random act. Some of you have grown up and your parents have told you over and over again, you were just an oopsie, okay? We're not gonna get into that, okay? That's weird territory, but some of you have grown up hearing that, right? And here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to know. You're not just some random act. You're not just some surprise. He knits you together in your mother's womb. God doesn't, if, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, the first three chapters, God didn't say, hey, I'm gonna make this lion in my image, did he? He didn't say, hey, I'm gonna breathe life into this bird. He did that for humanity. In human, it's humanity that God says, I will die for you. Everything about you, God uniquely designed. You know, one of my, one of my favorite aspects of, of the, the three pregnancies that my wife and I went through was the anatomy scan. It, it was one of the, just the coolest aspects of, of going through, like, like the, the, the whole, you know, everything going on. The anatomy scan was, was really just crazy because you go there and you just go for, like they do the ultrasound, and you go from like the toes all the way up to the skull, the brain, the spine, everything, just to make sure everything's working correctly. And then you get to like the moment that your child comes into the world, and it's like, it only takes nine months for this to happen. Like, this is crazy. This is wild. But in all of that, you see God's hand over and over and, and over again. David says, when no one saw me, God did, and you weaved me together. You know, scientists, they, they estimate that in the womb, the baby will have about 54 million heartbeats before they come into this world. 54 million heartbeats. God is the one who is sustaining and, and giving those heartbeats until that baby comes into the womb and then God sustains again. God, you knitted me together. You made me. And then look what he says in verse 16. He says, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. He says, before I even existed, before you even existed, God has a book that knows how many days you'll live. How many days you'll, you'll be on this earth. And here's what's wild about that. Because I think we can look at God and go, but God, like, like my book, it's got chapters in there that I'm not proud of. I've, there's a chapter in there of divorce. There's a chapter in there of, of cheating. There's a chapter in there filled with addiction. There's a chapter in there of, of whatever it may be for you. And you didn't throw it away. 
And God looks at us and he goes, why would I throw it away? Like that's one of my most treasured possessions. Of course I didn't throw it away. I brought it in closer. Your book is a treasured possession for me. He kept it and he loves you despite all of that. Then in verses 17 and 18, he says, God, how precious are your thoughts, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. Here's Here's what David is saying here. He's saying, God, you think about me all of the time, even when I'm not thinking about you. You're still thinking about me. Isn't this wild? This is who, this is who God is. I, I think about like, like my mom, she's, she's the type of mom, and maybe, maybe this is you, but she's the type of mom who will, you know, like pull out baby photos and just kind of be like, hey, look, look how cute Tyler was as a baby, and you're sitting there going, is that really a baby? Like, like doesn't look like one, and it's pretty ugly, right? <laughs> like, maybe that's like your mom, and, and she's just constantly pulling those, those things out. When I think of that, that's what I think about when when I think of God and how God looks at you. All that you are, he knows. All that you are, he loves. Yes, there are parts that he's working on in your life to make you more like Jesus. But there's never been a moment, if you are a follower of Jesus, there's never been a moment where God has gone, man, I really wish I didn't save him. No matter how much you messed up, no matter how, like, how terrible you feel right now, there's never been a moment where God has regretted saving you. All that you are, God loves. Now look at verses 19 through 22. God, if only you would kill the wicked, you bloodthirsty men, stay away from me. Who invoke you deceitfully? Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you. I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. David kind of takes this psalm in a weird direction, doesn't he? Like it's, it's kind of like he goes from like in sync to death metal, death metal, doesn't he? He's like, God, I love you. Like you love me. Man, I'm so thankful for you. Kill everybody. It's like, it's like, David, relax, okay? Like, like, why? Why are you going in that direction? But I think, like, if we really think about it, David is just expressing how we feel when we truly love someone, isn't he? Because when we truly love someone, we're going to kind of hate the things that, that people hate about that person, aren't we? Like, for instance, like, if, if you are a Texas Tech Red Raider fan, okay, which I'm assuming most of us are, and someone comes to you and they start trashing the Red Raiders, you're going to be like, I hate you right now, <laughs> aren't you? Or if someone came to me and they were like, hey, I, I just want you to know I hate your wife, um, I'd be like, first, you're weird, and then secondly, I would be like, I hate you because I love my wife. That's what we see David expressing in this moment. God, everyone that hates you, I, I, I hate. I want everything that's bad that, that is against who you are to be done with. Why? Because I love you and you love me. 
You care for me. He finishes off, if you look at verse 23, he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. Some of your versions may say, like, know my anxious ways, my anxious thoughts. And I, I love David because I, th- I feel like he teaches me how to pray whenever I read his psalms. Because what he does is he goes through this whole psalm and he's like, you've searched me, God. You know me more fully than anyone else can know me. You're amazing. Now, would you please know my anxious thoughts? And that when we read that, it's kind of like, does that line up? Because David, you've told us this whole time, like God knows me more fully than anyone else does. So of course he would know my anxious thoughts. Why do I need to ask him to know my, my anxious thoughts in this moment? And, and, and here's what I think he's doing. It's as if David is just kind of telling himself, isn't he? Despite the fact that I know you know me, God. You know who I am. I'm inviting you in. I'm inviting you in to know who I really am. You know that I'm worried if I'll ever get married, and I'm inviting you in. You know I'm worried about this hospital visit that I have to go to. You know, God, that that I'm worried about paying the bills this month. You know I'm worried about this specific class that I have to take this semester. I know that you know that, And it's as if David is rehearsing out loud, God, I know you know, but I'm inviting you to know. And that's how we operate. And I think it's okay to operate that way. And then he finishes in verse 24. He says this, see if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. Here's what he's saying here. He's saying, God, is there anything in me that is not consistent with your character? Is there anything in me that's not consistent with your character, with with who you are? As we we land this plane, David's going to come back up, and and, and we're going to kind of finish this out. But what, what King David is saying here is he's saying this, Will you change whatever that is and will you redirect it? In fact, David, what he's doing is is he's taking those dark places in his heart, those dark things, and he does the opposite of what most of us do when we think about those dark places in our hearts. He moves towards God, whereas for a lot of us, we move away from him. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? The reason David moved towards God is because he knew God. He knows God's character. He knows what God is like. I mean, he's just spent 24 verses rehearsing, this is who God is. This is how much he loves you. This is how much he cares about you, how much he knows who you are. And he doesn't pull away from you. He doesn't recoil from you. He's not disgusted with you. He comes closer. So those dark places in your hearts, you can take those directly to him instead of trying to distance yourself from him. 
the reason you and I recoil from God is because there are parts of us that don't really believe he is as good as the Bible tells us that he is. But he is. So this morning, as we think about a psalm for the known, that's every single person here. And that in and of itself is kind of wild to me, that that every single person in here, God knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what you're dealing with. He knows all of your anxious thoughts. He knows all of the anxieties that you're dealing with, all of the the sinful patterns that you're struggling with. He knows everything that, that you are going through right now. Every person in here. You are, more, you are more known than you could possibly ever imagine and more loved than you could possibly ever imagine. And so what does that mean for you this morning as we get ready to, to reflect and, and spend a little bit more time in worship today? What does, that, what does that mean for you? I think for some of us, that means just resting in that truth that, that God knows me, he loves me. For, for others, that means that you need to go to him with, with the darkest parts of your heart. Rather than recoiling or, or, or leaving and, and saying, I can't go to him because he'll be disgusted by it. God already knows it. He already knows those places. So why wouldn't we go to the one who can take care of them? We're going to have some some ministry staff up here this morning if you need prayer I mean, what I would encourage you to do is just to 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 wrestle with that this morning rest in the fact that God knows you that he loves you and that he doesn't recoil from you he comes closer that's who he is let's pray this morning God we love you and we just thank you for your grace the fact, God, that you don't recoil from us, you don't, you don't hide from us, you aren't disgusted with us, but God, that you move closer, as Psalm 139 tells us. You move closer to us. And God, I believe that this, this truth can have the the impact just to change everything in our lives today. It's one of those truths that if we just really wrestle with it and allow it to, to sit on our hearts, God, that, man, it can change everything about who we are. This is how God feels about me. I never have to wonder. I never have to worry about it. This is how he feels about me. So we thank you for that today, God. God, as we continue to worship, as we sing, I pray, Father, that your spirit would just continue to move, work in the hearts of those that that need this this morning. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 